Peace and blessings be upon you. Welcome to the Ta'alif Podcast, a space where we aim to provide content and connect our spiritual hearts with community, love, service, and prophetic wisdom. Welcome to our class today with Ustad Ubaidullah Evans. We are covering uh, the themes of Ramadan. We are covering mercy, forgiveness, and emancipation salvation basically or emancipation freedom from the hellfire those are the topics that we'll be covering each one of those topics are are the 10 day themes of ramadan so the first 10 days that we're in right now and today we are in the fifth day of ramadan and it's going by quick mashallah it's going by really fast uh, we all need to take advantage if we haven't start and if we have keep doing it inshallah for before you know it, you'll blink and it's going to be the last five days of Ramadan. And in those days, as we know, the Prophet, peace be upon him, used to tighten his belt uh, to really get to work. And uh, the Prophet ﷺ outside of Ramadan used to stay up at night until his feet swelled. So I can't even imagine inside of Ramadan and inside of those 10 last 10 days of Ramadan, what he used to do, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, peace be upon him. So may we all be able to emulate him and be like him to the point so that now when we're retreating in this time of COVID, when we're in our caves, quote unquote, when we're in a place where we have to self-isolate, at least with our families or with ourselves, that when we actually come out of this, we will come out prophetic, inshallah. We will come out just like the Prophet, peace be upon him, wanted us to come out of Ramadan with Allah's mercy upon us and Allah's forgiveness upon us and Allah's freedom for all of us from the hellfire, complete emancipation from the hellfire. And that's what these classes are about. I really am excited and happy and honored to be here with all of you. Without further ado, we have Ubaidullah Evans here to speak to us about the first part of this three series collection of Ramadan, which is mercy, mercy, forgiveness, and emancipation. And today we'll be focusing on mercy. Sayyidi Ubaidullah Evans, welcome, welcome, welcome. It is good to be on with you. Uh, I look forward to a conversation about Rahmah. I got started yesterday in my Monday class. And, um, you know, the first 10 days of Ramadan are 10 days of Rahmah. And we can show Rahmah as human beings, but there is absolutely no similarity in the rahmah that we're capable of displaying and the rahmah that God is capable of, that God is capable of displaying. Uh, and the reason for that is that mercy must accompany strength. Mercy must accompany authority. You see, if a person um, is afflicted with uh, cowardice, the person is a coward, right? And the person is afraid of someone or something else. And let's say, um, to avoid a confrontation with the person they're afraid of. They say, oh, don't worry about it. It's okay. You know, it, it, there's no problem. There's no issue. There's no tension. That's not really mercy. That's actually cowardice because they're afraid. Only a person that possesses strength, a person that possesses authority, that would have no problem um, engaging the person um, who chooses then to say, it's no problem, it's okay, no offense is taken, 
can be said to be merciful. In the case of God, his authority is unchallenged. His authority is unrivaled. His ownership of the mulk, of the dominion, and everything in it is unparalleled. And that ownership gives God the ability to do whatever he wants, with whomever he wants, with whatever he wants. And no one, he, God is answerable to no one. In every relationship that we have, we're answerable to God and how we treat the environment, how we treat animals, how we treat our children, how we treat our friends. So the mercy that we show is a, is a, a kind of attenuated mercy. We're not, we don't have complete autonomy, right? But God has complete authority, complete autonomy, and he chooses, subhanahu wa ta'ala, to deal gently with us, to pardon us, to forgive us, right? That is divine mercy. And there's nothing like divine mercy. Allah Ta'ala says concerning his mercy, My mercy encompasses everything. Everything. There is nothing that exists and even nothing that doesn't exist. But that's another, that's a conversation for another time. There's nothing in the realm of possibility that is not encompassed by God's mercy. Everything. Even those things we might find it difficult to approach mercifully. God encompasses everything with his mercy. And, um, you know, Ramadan, you know, should be a time. And I want to move to, you know, yes, it does lift our spirits. It does buoy us, especially those of us that are struggling with our iman, to know that God is merciful, to know that God uh, forgives our sins, to know that God, you know, you know, you know, he requites us for fasting in the month of Ramadan. Men sama Ramadana wa qama layali imanan wa hatisaban ghafru Allahu ma taqadama min zambi. Whoever fasts the days of Ramadan and stands in prayer during its nights, imanan in faith, wa hatisaban seeking a reward. God forgives all of their previous misdeeds. That makes us feel warm. That makes us feel good. But we have to recognize that this Rahma not only has a vertical dimension, this Rahma also has a horizontal dimension. How merciful are we being in these first 10 days of Ramadan? You know, every time a scholar or anyone else talks about the first 10 days of Rahma, in the month of Ramadan, it's like, yes, God's mercy unto us. And yes, we need that mercy. What about our mercy unto other people? The Prophet said, What irham man fil ard, yarhamkum man fil sama. Have mercy on those on earth, and the one above the heavens, God will have mercy upon you. How merciful are we being? Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said concerning the Prophet And we have only sent you as a mercy to everything that exists. 
That means the environment. That means the Muslim. That means the non-Muslim. That means a mercy to men. That means a mercy to women. That means a mercy to children. That means a mercy to animals. Where, where are we? Are we even a mercy to our families? When they consider our presence, is that something that brings enjoyment, contentment, ease, pleasure to them? Or something that brings anguish, tension, frustration, hardship to them? We have to really work on being beauty marks in creation. You know, I mentioned some of this yesterday, so excuse the repetitiveness, inshallah. Being beauty marks in creation. You know, I mentioned that I was watching um, a documentary about public housing in the United States, and particularly in Chicago. And, you know, public housing, uh, for those of you who are new to Chicago, or perhaps just never realized, you know, uh, that Chicago had some of the largest public housing complexes in the United States. And these places were literal and figurative dead ends. This was the dead end of racism, the dead end of classism, the dead end of, uh, 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 I mean, this was, this, was, this was the dead end. And you had one Catholic lay worker named Bill Tolles that used to walk around public housing just being in relationship with people, not preaching, not proselytizing, but he would put on this habit and he would walk around just meeting people, greeting people, giving rides to people, talking to people. And one reporter was interviewing him and he said, why are you doing this? You're a guy from Evanston. He said, we're just here to remind people of God's love for them. And I broke down and started crying, man. In a place that was absolutely desolate, Dark, crime, murders, poverty, illness. We want to be in areas like this to remind people of God's love for them. And I thought, man, this man is Catholic, but what a prophetic thing to say. The Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu you know what he really did? He reminded people in his very being of God's mercy. In his being, he reminded people of God's mercy. Just in his being, in his manner of proceeding, just reminding people of God's mercy. This should be something that we practice, not only in the first 10 days of Ramadan, but all the time. Just reminding people of God's mercy wanting to be a reminder of the mercy of God, right? And that, if someone were to ask me today for a summary of the sunnah of the Prophet I probably wouldn't talk about, you know, entering the masjid with your right foot and exiting with your left, although that is very important. The Prophet loved to prefer the right in things. I probably wouldn't talk about eating with your right hand or with your middle finger, your index finger and your thumb. I probably wouldn't talk about wearing white clothes. I probably would talk about the sunnah is to be in your very essence, to be in your very presence 
a reminder of God's mercy. That's what the prophet did, And this explains some of those hadith that if we're not looking through that lens, Ali, those hadith are very difficult to understand. You had people that looked at the Prophet and they said, This is not the face of a liar. What did they see? See, we, we haven't what did they see? They saw something that reminded them of the mercy of God, that God would send us guidance in the form of a prophet, that God would send us revelation in the form of the Quran. <clears throat> Maybe I was cynical before looking at you. Maybe I didn't believe in any of this mumbo jumbo before looking at you. But when I look at you, I think to myself, it's tangible, it's real, it's actualized, it's possible. This is what we have in the person of the Prophet So as we go through these first 10 days of Ramadan, and we're thinking about Rahmah, yes, we should be rejoicing, right? Abshiru and al-ghufran. Rejoice, because God is forgiving our sins. But also focus, rakizu. I made that, that rhymes, I made it up. I'm rhyming in Arabic, huh? Abshiru wa rakizu. Abshiru, right? Rejoice at God's forgiveness of our sins, inshallah. If we fast in the month of Ramadan, but also rakizu, focus. How can we reflect something of the mercy of God in our treatment of our neighbors, in our treatment of our friends, in our treatment of our spouses, in our treatment of our colleagues? How can we help them to see that? How can we help them to realize that? And our treatment of the marginalized, our treatment of the forgotten. You know, that brother, Bill Tomes, that, you know, Catholic friar, or he wasn't a friar, he was a lay worker. He wanted people who might find it hard to see the love of God. And by the way, for those of you interested in comparative religious analysis, when Christians say the love of God, this is what we, Muslims actually, our equivalent is Rahmah, the mercy of God, right? But that Rahmah, if you look at it, the expression of that Rahmah, it is the same terminologically as their love, as their agape, right? They say agape, this unrestricted divine love, we say Rahmah. And this is what is embodied in the name of Allah, Ar-Rahman, right? The Rahim is different. The Rahim is the one that specially reserves love, a special kind of love for what he loves. Allah loves Iman. Allah loves generosity. Allah loves charity. Right? Allah loves good character. Right? That's the Rahim. That love is a different kind of love. It is an expression of his name, Ar-Rahim. Right? Loves things that he loves. And the Rahim, there are things that Allah does not love. Allah does not love kufr. Allah does not love isyan. Allah does not love disobedience. Allah, you know, right? These are, that's the Rahim. But the Rahman, this is the Rahma that encompasses everything. This is the love of God that encompasses everything, everyone. We want to be reflections of the latter. That love of God that encompasses everything. This is our da'wah. This is the da'wah. This is our da'wah. Being reflections of that love. 
and that, that man built homes that I was uh, talking about, he wanted that love to be visible to people who maybe couldn't see it because the situation was tough. The situation was difficult. The situation was dark. They might, they might look around at this squalid condition to say, the love of God, the love this, a slum, neglected by my government, forgotten by my people, right? This, drug-infested ghettos, this, this, the love of God, he wanted to just do some act of kindness, some act of selflessness, some act of sacrifice that reminded them, even in this, there is the, there is the love of God. There is the mercy of God. This is the Prophet all the time, all the time. The Prophet at Uhud, the Quraysh penetrated the uh, lines of the Muslim after the archers left their post. And they penetrated the lines of the Muslims so deeply that the dir'a, the shield of the Prophet was, 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 was shoved into his uh, mouth. And he cracked one of his teeth. And he started to bleed from his mouth. And as he was bleeding, the Prophet ﷺ was pleading, catching the blood and pleading with Allah to forgive the people that were attacking him. And he said, they don't know what they're doing. They don't know what they're doing. I have been sent with guidance for them and they're attacking me, fighting me. They've crushed it my tooth and I'm bleeding. And the Prophet, when he was catching the blood, the Sahaba, one of them said to him, Ya Rasulullah, what are you doing? He said, the punishment of God always comes to a people when they spill the blood of their Prophet. So even in fighting them, even in having his blessed mouth gashed, he's still showing mercy to the people that are trying to kill him. That's why we say sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That's why we say sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And yes, he was actively engaging them, but he's actively engaging them to what? Bring about a state of peace so that people can accept Islam. So that people can consider the embrace of the truth. This is what it means to be a reflection of mercy in everything that we do. So, you know, um, an action item is to, you know, forgive, uh, you know, to forgive, you know, be beautiful, right? Be a person of ihsan, you know, uh, if creation is a, is a, is a, is a, you know, visage, creation is a face, strive to be a beauty mark on creation, you know. And all of the, uh, um, you know, dark, um, desolate, sometimes depraved, sometimes morally challenging, sometimes decadent. It's funny how all these words start with D. <laughs> world in which we live, be a reflection of the other part 
of the world in which we live, that part that the mercy of God is visible in. And, um, you know, these are just a few, um, you know, preliminary ideas, preliminary thoughts when thinking about the first 10 days of Ramadan and thinking about mercy. You know, maybe Ali, you wanted to follow up, you know, with something. Yeah, you know, this this whole encounter for the next three uh, weeks together is supposed to be a discussion, but you came on with such a such a hat. I was like, you know what, I'm just going to sit back and listen to this. Um, no, 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 no. I actually intended it to be a discussion, but I wanted to open the discussion. This just, is, inshallah, setting the table. Anything that needs to be said after that. <laughs> that was beautiful. But, you know, you remind me of a few things. One of, one of the things that the Prophet said, uh, you know, he's so aware of everything around him at all times, in every moment, mm. that I am always trying to figure out how can I do that as a human being? I don't understand how he did it. The Prophet ﷺ was sleeping, sleeping. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> Yes, and his heart never sleeps. His mm-hmm. eyes rest, but his heart never sleeps. And the reality is he's in his slumber, the Prophet them, the way that he does it, the way that Allah allows him to have it. But he wakes up and he sees a cat sleeping next to him. A cat. And so he around the cat, the clothes that she was sleeping on. She was sleeping on his thobe or his... his, his Allah Allah He cuts around <laughs> so he does not disturb the cat from sleeping. It's not, like, it's not like he had a closet full of shirts, you know, that he was just going to go back home and just figure out which one he's going to pick out from. No, 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 no. Deep, 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 deep sensitivity, man. Deep, deep sensitivity. And that's why, you know, whenever, you know, you're looking at ahkam, like rulings, one is left to think with so much that we have going on, if we could actually present our cases to the Prophet I have this going on and this going on. The only thing that I'm convinced of, absolutely, is that he would respond in all truth, but with great sensitivity. Great sensitivity. You know, um, it's like, you know, speaking of Ramadan, this is absolutely pertinent to Ramadan. The man who came to the Prophet and said, Ya Rasulullah, inni halat. Oh, Messenger of God, truly, I'm ruined. Yeah, I'm ruined. You know, what happened? My wife and I, we were together intimately in the month of Ramadan. And the Prophet said, you know, this is, you know, pretty serious. Um, You have to, you know, uh, find someone who's in a state of bondage and set them free, right? Emancipate them. And the man said, find somebody in a state of bondage and set them free. That costs lots of money. I don't have money like that. The Prophet said, okay, well then you have to fast. Right? You have to fast two consecutive months. And the man said, fast two consecutive months? There's no way I can do that. Right? Kind of like, if I could make it through one day, what would give you the impression that I can make it through 60 days? Right? And the Prophet did not say to this man, Tafasakta, you have become a fasik, right? You have become a deviant, you have become a backslider. He said, hmm, I guess that is something we have to you know, take into consideration. And then he said, find somebody who is impoverished and feed them. And the man said, Wallahi, 
I don't know anyone more impoverished than myself. And at this, the Prophet he smiled. He smiled, right? This man is literally going against the muhkam of the Quran, right? These are the things in the Quran. These are clear. These are muhkam. These are muhkam verses in the Quran. Clear verses in the Quran. The man is standing up, admitting to his weakness. No, no, I can't do that. Can't do that either. As far as the uh, uh, poverty, man, I don't know anybody poorer than me. So, you know, we're talking about some charity here. It should start with my family. The Prophet calls for a sa'ah, a canister of dates, gives the dates to that man and says, take these dates, feed your family, and Allah has forgiven your sin. Now, nobody eat or, you know, have marital relations, you know, during the day on Ramadan. And if you do that, you have to fast 60 consecutive days. This man, his mufti, was the prophet, right? So, look, and then, you know, what a lot of people of fiqh talk about, the Prophet didn't even say anything about his wife. He didn't say that she had to do anything, right? His sin was forgiven, her sin was forgiven because he fed his family. So he did something wrong and he left with charity. That's the message of Allah, that's rahmah. Now, what do you think that man knows about the mercy of God? Man, I committed a sin that was a kabira, an enormity. I went to confess my sin to the Prophet, and I returned being able to feed my hungry family. <sighs> Ali, Ali, Habibi, what, what kind of humanity is that? I, I went to confess my sin and I left with charity? Not a strict moral rejoinder about the seriousness of Ramadan. Not, you know, a lesson on waqtul imsak and the shurut, sihatul siyam, you know, a lesson on the soundness of fasting. I told the Prophet that I broke my fast and I left with charity. I know that that man is convinced I worship a merciful God. I worship a merciful God. One wonders that when he's in his prayer and he says, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, if he prays the wrong way, right? If he prays like a Shabi, you know, I'm just kidding. Right? No, I'm just kidding. I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm, uh, I, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. All of the madahib are from Allah. Of course, the Shafi'is, they say the Basmala audibly, right? The Hanafis say it silently, and Malikis, we don't say it at all. SubhanAllah. But when that man reads the Quran and he says, Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, right? The, in the name of God, the gracious, the merciful. How does that feel to him? All because the Prophet was a reflection of that mercy, was a reflection of that grace. This is, this, this is the Prophet It's really amazing when you think about, you know, uh, 
you're talking about the Prophet what I think, you know, for me, one of the secrets in that is that that man felt comfortable enough to go to the Prophet having done mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, that, I mean that, that you're only going to, you know, only going to um, seek help or admit or acknowledge your shortcomings in front of someone that you know will not invalidate you. You know, um, you know, you look at most arguments. I know I can look at my arguments. The two people arguing are not really arguing about what they're arguing about. I know that, you know, most of the time I'm not. That's true. That's no. What they're arguing is that what? Don't invalidate me. This is why we're so defensive. Don't invalidate me. Don't say that I'm a bad father. Don't say that I'm a bad friend. Don't say that I'm a bad wife. Don't say, don't invalidate me. I'm doing a lot here. I'm trying my best. I'm making some mistakes, but I'm trying my best. I'm doing a lot here. Don't invalidate me in toto. Don't totally invalidate me. If a person knows that you're not totally invalidating them and that you acknowledge their strengths and you acknowledge their sacrifice and you acknowledge the, their struggle, it's much easier to say, but this, you know, you know uh, I need to work on. If you say, you know, this, 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 this is really, really good. This, this is something I'm challenged by. That's easy. But if the only thing you think about is what I'm challenged by, it's the only thing you talk about is what I'm challenged by, the only thing you talk about is what I'm struggling with, the only thing you talk about is my shortcomings. It's very hard to go to a person seeking to be open and to be honest with them. In the case of the Prophet, you know why that man could go to the Prophet, acknowledging and admitting his shortcomings and his flaws and his mistakes? Because he knows that the Prophet can see his virtue. See, he knows that I can just talk about my mistakes because I know that he can see my virtue. The strong believer is better than the weak believer. And in both of them, there is good. So even the weaker believer that can't fast, you know, 30 entire days of Ramadan without committing a sin, the prophet can see the virtue in that man. The man knows the prophet can see the virtue in him. So he can just say, Indi halat. Truly, I've ruined myself. Because the prophet, والسلام, knows you're not all bad. Right? You're not all ruined. You did something wrong. I'm going to tell you how to atone for the wrong thing that you did. It's easy. You know, uh, there's a beautiful hadith of the Prophet mm-hmm. والسلام, that uh, Abu Hurairah was in a state of janaba. He was in a state of major ritual impurity. You know, and this, when, when a person is a person is junub, a person is in a state of major ritual impurity, they have to take a full purificatory bath before they can pray again. Right? And when he saw the Prophet, he was like hiding. He was like ducking. He was hiding, right? Ducking. He was hiding. And the Prophet, again, to your point, Ali, about his awareness, he noticed. And when he said to Abu Huraira, Yeah, Abu Huraira, why are you hiding from me? Why are you ducking? He said, Ya Rasulullah, I was in a state of janaba, and I didn't want you to see me until I was pure. And he said, Ya Abu Huraira, Ya Abu Huraira, don't you know the mu'min is always pure? Don't you know the mu'min is always pure? So yes, not ritually pure, like you can pray or hold the mushaf or enter the musalla, but 
in terms of his essence, don't you know the mu'min is always pure? Right? Right? The mu'min is always pure. Right? So even the Prophet is always affirming to them that, look, I can see you, all of you, not just the bad parts of you. I can see you. I see you. All of you. And when a person, when you feel that someone can see all of you, it's easier to accept what they have to say about the less sightly parts of you, the parts of you that need work. You know? So when Ali says, you know, obey, I appreciate the work that you do with Tetlif, but punctuality, Habib. We gotta work on it. We gotta work on that. We gotta work on that, Habib. That's easy for me to accept. But when he goes and says, oh man, these teachers, man, they don't, they're, not, they're not serious about what they do. And they, you know, they, you know, I'm gonna defend myself. No, I'm not, no, I'm trying my best. I'll let you, how can you say, uh, you don't know what I have going on? What about my wife? What about my kids? What about... Because what I'm really saying is, what, don't invalidate me. Don't invalidate me. So the Prophet he never invalidated people, never. Yeah, he never invalidated people, so honest. His biggest nemesis, find <clears throat> good in that person's son. Yes. I knew there was something good about him. I knew there had to be something good about Abu Jahl when Ikrimah accepted Islam. Well, I knew there was some good in his father. Which is that's unreal to me because that's after being ousted from your homeland. Mm-hmm. Possibly the, the reason why Khadija passes away is because of the sanctions that this man puts upon his people. Right, mm-hmm. and multiple people that he loves and followed him pass away and suffer, and are in certain life situations that we pray to God we never get taste in this world. Amen, amen. And notice that the Prophet didn't say, "I knew that your fire was. I knew that your father was tayyib." I don't do inna who can No, no, no. He didn't say I knew he was tayyib. I knew there was some good in your father. This is all we're saying. There's some good in everybody. There's some good in them. Struggling to, to see that and to, to, to accentuate that. This is, uh, this is, this is prophetic work. You know, this is prophetic work. Now, how can we take all of that? We're talking about the Prophet Sallallahu mercy, who's rahmatan lil'alameen, right? He came down with mercy to the world. What does that mean to how, when we shift to Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Ta'ala in the sense of, the hadith where he says that one dot of my mercy or one drop of my mercy was sent down to everything that we experience, whether there's like a, a, a lion that doesn't eat a gazelle or the way a mother looks at a baby or the way that we see mercy unfolding through this pandemic, through people's interactions, everything that we see, that's still the one dot. And then the rest, the 99 of that hundred is left to the day of judgment. How can oh, we... You know, I, I, you know, we really, you know, it's almost like infinity. You know, infinity is a concept. It's not a number. You know, human beings have a very, I mean, we're so finite in everything that we do. And, and we're so uh, uh, impermanent in everything that we are. We're always changing. Um, you know, the other day, I was out trying to run uh, before Iftar. And I realized how much I was changing. You know, I used to be able to do that. You know, I used to be able to go out, run a couple miles before Iftar, come back, you know, 
getting older. Everything about us is impermanent. So when we think about Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, who, you know, his authority over creation is unfathomable. His yani, dominion over creation, we, like the extent and range of it. You know, we say Malikul Amlaki, the king of kings, right? Malikul Amlaki. It's, it's like you only can begin to conceptualize the mercy of God when you understand his authority. You see, when you understand his authority and you understand that he's answerable to no one, he can absolutely do anything that he wants to do. And it, it, it's beyond like right and wrong. Like, you know, we're, we're, and this is what I was saying at the beginning, we're governed by, you know, um, you know a certain moral sense. So even if it's like, uh, I don't know, you know, an egg, you know, and I bought the carton of eggs and I take the egg and I throw it on the ground. There's still a part of me that feels like that was kind of wasteful. You get what I'm saying? Like, yo, even though I paid my money for these eggs and I can, and I technically own them in the way that I own them, my conscience is not free to do whatever I want to do with the eggs. You follow what I'm saying? Allah possesses us in a way that he is free to do whatever he wants with creation. He's not bound by any of our conception of what is right, any of our conception of what is moral, any of our conception of what is just. And yet he chooses to be merciful in the way that you just described. So that if his mercy was broken into a hundred parts, all of the mercy that we see on earth is just one part of that mercy. And he does not have to be that way. And then 99 parts are reserved for Yom Al-Qiyamah. I mean, this is supposed to make us desirous of meeting with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, they, they, they asked um, one companion, I, I think it was Abdullah bin Salam, but I could be wrong, that if you were given the choice on Qiyamah of your mother judging you or Allah judging you, who would you choose? And he said, without question, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, right? And when you think about it and you think about other hadith of the Prophet he chose correctly because Allah is more merciful to the servant than a mother to her child. That's the rahmah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, once I was giving a, a, a lecture and I was sharing a panel with Imam Khalid Latif from NYU. And he was telling a story about a camping trip that he went on with his wife and his daughter or his son, I forget, no, his daughter. And he said that at some point his daughter fell and scraped her leg. And he went, got the first aid kit, you know, patched up the wound. But just seeing the blood of his daughter, his wife was like shaking. Oh my, like, oh my God, I can't, you know, I can't believe this happened. I can't believe this happened. He said sometime later, he looked at his wife and she was still like, like just because of what she witnessed with her daughter. And he said, only then did he understand the meaning of the hadith, Allah is more merciful to his servant than a mother to her child. Right? 
only then that he realized the meaning of that hadith, right? That one of the names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is Al-Hanan, right? Some, I mean, many of us know women named Hanan. Some of us might even know men named Hanan. I met a man named Hanan, right? right? One of the names of Allah ta'ala, Al-Hanan. You know, uh, Hanina is like uh, maternal warmth maternal warmth that Allah is Al-Hanan right a kind of you know it's a, it's, it's a kind of shafaqah a kind of compassion but it has this maternal dimension to it you know this is our Lord subhanahu wa ta'ala and uh, you know uh, his mercy uh, in many ways is just incomprehensible uh, to us as it should be you know, it should, you know, many of the names and attributes of Allah Ta'ala and how they complement one another, the whole purpose of memorizing them and reciting them and repeating them and reflecting upon them is to think about how unfathomable it is for all of these things to exist in Allah Ta'ala. So that the end result is not one of a almost scientific clarity, but one of a almost awestruck wondrousness. SubhanAllah. That's the goal of reflecting upon the names of Allah Ta'ala. Not like a, like a scientific exactness. Yes, I have it now. But a bewildered almost perplexity about God. SubhanAllah. So that, you know, uh, the intellect almost begins to break down. Right? You know, and just thinking about the mercy of God, it should do that to us. You know, it should do that to us. It should do that to us and then make us realize, I think what hits me every time, I am what my servant perceives to me, perceives me to be. I am what my perceives me to be. Meaning that so many times we're like, yeah, Allah's just not going to forgive me for this thing. Yeah, Allah, yeah. you know, but you're, you're putting God in a box. You're putting God in a box frame there and, and, and more than just putting god in a frame do you think that your sin is greater than his capacity to forgive do you think that your sin is greater than his capacity to forgive you know some scholars have even considered this type of shirk they have grossly underestimated allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you know i think sometimes you know, uh, we forget that in our servitude to God, it is e God can forgive us and it's easy for God to do that. Allah, it's easy for God to do that. It's easy. It's not like, it's not like Allah, I mean, this is the Lord of all creation, right? From Adam until the present day. And no, before Adam, but this is the Lord of all humanity. Do you know how many sinners Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, has witnessed? How many sins Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has witnessed? And how many sins Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has forgiven? Do you really think that you're doing something that is, huh? No, probably not. Uh, probably, you know, uh, only in your own regard. But, um, yeah, man, you know, uh, reflecting on the mercy of God is absolutely essential, Habib. Absolutely yeah. essential. 
And, uh, you know, I wanted to hand it over to our viewers. Um, uh, have any questions, inshallah, in the next few minutes that we have together. Um, any questions at all for CD Arbaillah Evans to, to answer, whether you're on YouTube or whether you're on Zoom, you ask. And while they're coming up with some questions, uh, you know, you, you remind me of one last hadith of the Prophet, peace be upon him. The man who kills 99 people. Mm. The man who killed, that one stuns me every single time. Yeah, yeah of course. Of course. 99 people, you know, you know murder is a heinous uh, uh, crime. Um, um, you know, in almost every criminal code in the world, uh, the worst thing that one can do is murder. Um, you know, after shirk, ishraqu billah, qatl al-nafs. It's usually, you know, that's the, it's the worst thing you can do. So this man committed 99 murders. And he went to ask someone about the chance of being forgiven. And that person told him 99 murders. Uh, it would be uh, hard for me to imagine you being forgiven. And I mean, uh, I actually understand, you know, the person that said that, I think we might think, who are you to say that? Or how could you say that? But if you think about someone like Hitler, right? You think about someone like, you know, Adolf Hitler. And what, imagine a scenario in which someone like that is making Tova at the end of his life. You have some religious people, this would, this would test their Iman. Because the only thing that they've been comforted by all these years is thinking, this man is definitely going to hell. For all of the injustice, all of the rapacious murder, all of the gulags and the you know, uh, uh, gas chambers. And some people, their only consolation is this man is going to hell. Now, if that man says at the end of his life, you know, I want to I wanna repent. Some people might feel like, no, 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 no. This is, you know, the fact that God is just. Because, you know, the Mu'atezila, there are some interesting arguments about this, bro. I don't want to make this too, too, you know, too technical. There's some interesting stuff written about this. You know, some people would suggest, no, 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 no. At the very least, he must face retribution in Akhirah. He must experience some punishment. And then maybe he can be entered into Jannah. But just to be forgiven after all that, this would be a violation of God's name, Al-Adil, that God is just. So this was a serious thing. I think some people hear the story and they're like, yo, how could he say that? He's supposed to be a man of knowledge of religion. No, this is a very serious thing. So he said, 99, 99 people. Nah, that's... So then the man killed him and made him the hundredth. He found another person. Is there any chance? I've killed a hundred people. Is there any chance for me to be forgiven? And this person doesn't tell him yes. But he says, you know, jokingly, I sometimes think, Maybe he heard about what happened to the first person. You know, hey, look, somebody comes to you asking about whether or not they can be forgiven. Just say you don't know. Right? So he said, look, I don't know. But there might be someone in 
such and such town that can, you know, help you with this. So he sets off on a journey to that town and he dies in between leaving and arriving to the place that he was journeying to. When the angels come to take his soul, an angel of punishment comes and an angel of mercy comes. And they are confused as to which of them should take his soul. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, measure, if he was closer to where he was coming from, then the angel of punishment should take the soul. If he was closer to where he was going, then the angel of mercy should take his soul. And then the hadith says, the distance was shrinked, right? The distance was contracted so that he ended up closer to where he was going and the angel of mercy took his soul. So I mean, this is the, this is the, the, the maghfirah of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the rahmah, you know, the hadith that if you say subhanallah wa bihamdihi, subhanallah al-azim, 99 times, even if your sins are as numerous as the froth of the sea, Allah will meet those sins with an ocean's worth of forgiveness as well. You know, this is the mercy of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So as we're talking about mercy, and <clears throat> this is the topic for today, which is why we're emphasizing on mercy so much. But I knew this, these questions were going to come because uh, uh, it was floating through my mind as well, which is, there's two questions here. They're kind of intertwined, obeyed into the same thing. I'm going to ask both of them, and then you can answer them as you see fit. See, okay? We understand that we must balance hope in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with fear in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. During Ramadan, when the doors of heaven are wide open and the doors of hellfire are shut, is this a month where we hope more than we fear? And then mm. I'm, I'm going to put that on pause. Mm. I'm going to put that on pause. And I'm going to ask this question because it's intertwined, I believe. And you can answer as you see. Ramadan is slipping through our fingers and what we do is inadequate. How do we ensure we are not among the cursed who do not leave this month forgiven? And how do we balance that fear? Bismillah. Two things. Uh, one, actually the second question answers the first. That even in the month of Ramadan, there is some concern that we are not benefiting from the month of Ramadan. That we're not literally you know, taking advantage of uh, the month of Ramadan. Um, and that should balance out uh, uh, our, our, our hope, um, you know, in benefiting uh, from the month of Ramadan. However, we have to remember that God's mercy is not given to us on the basis of merit. We are not rewarded by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in accordance with what we do. This is not strict mukafa'ah, right? It's not like, you know, you do, I give you an equivalent of what you did. It's not, we are rewarded on account of God's mercy. He rewards us in accordance with his generosity, not in accordance with our worthiness. So I would say, don't focus so much on what you're doing or not doing in terms of your, your acts of devotion, obedience, qira'ah, qiyam, you know, reading the Quran, standing for prayer. Focus on making sure that what you do, you do for the sake of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You know, there's a hadith of the Prophet ﷺ in which he said, 
ركعتي فجر two rak'ah of fajr khairun min ad-dunya wa ma fiha the two units of prayer of fajr are better than the world and everything in it but that that's not mukafa right that's not that's not uh that's not that's not uh, uh compensation that's rahma that's mercy right you do this amount allah gives you this amount so i would say just focus on making what you do for the sake of allah and allow the mercy of allah ta'ala to fill in um the gaps wherever you might be lacking inshallah yeah i want our folks to understand like this doesn't mean you don't get serious you know uh we 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 started uh this uh, broadcast by talking how the prophet sallallahu in the last 10 nights last 10 days he puts on his belt and he tightens it right um, <laughs> that comes with all of this and obviously there's a fear but you know in today's topic it's about mercy and there's an understanding that these 10 days are to be taken advantage from that lens and that's the prophetic understanding that these 10 days are to be taken from that lens. And our opinion of God, inshallah, is that he accepts us within that mercy. But I would say also that the Prophet sallallahu in one hadith in Sidi Ubaid, please expand upon this. He says um, that I know the, the, the last individual to leave the hellfire. I know mm. the last individual to leave the hellfire. And mm. he will leave the hellfire crawling. Zahfat. Mm. Now, and literally, he will enter into the garden. He will see everyone has taken their place in the garden. Everyone has taken their place in the garden. And then he looks at his Lord and he says, Ya Allah, everyone has taken their place in the garden. What, what do I have left? What do I have left? And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Are you joking with me and you're the king? continuously Ten, ten, ten times the, the, the amount of this world. And that's the least uh, level mm -hmm. of hell. I mean, of mm -hmm. heaven. That's the mm -hmm. least level of heaven for mm -hmm. the last person to enter the garden. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm going to say that by balancing by Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu. He used to say that if I was the, if I was the only, if, if I was told only one person were to enter the garden, I would not think it was me. And he said, if I was told that uh, everyone would enter the garden except one person, and they would enter the higher, I would think that would be me. Subhanallah, subhanallah, You know, I think, you know, some people, I get it. You know, when you talk about rahmah and you talk about love and, and things like that, I think they fear that we are obscuring the, you know, shadid al-iqab. That God is, you know, severe in punishment. That He's also He's Rahman, He's Muntaqim. Right? Uh, he's Rahman and 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 he's Aziz, right? He's Rahman and he's uh Vul Jam Jalali Walikram. And and 
the Jalali names of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that, you know, um, you don't want to misplace um, the obedience of God, the commitment to God, the devotion to God. And every time I hear that, I always think, I think you got it wrong. I think hearing about someone's mercy, hopefully, unless you are a manipulative person, it doesn't lead to you wanting to take advantage of their mercy. Inshallah, it leads you to greater devotion toward them because for no reason, no compelling reason, they've decided to show me mercy. For no compelling reason. They've decided to show me mercy. I want to then render the obedience, render the devotion that is commanded of me. You know what I'm saying? So I think some people think when you talk about rahmah, you open the door for laxity. You open the door for tasahul. You open the door for tamayyu'. You know, uh, tamayyu'a literally means to water down something, right? You open the door for a watered down Islam where we're only talking about love and mercy. We never talk about obedience and we never talk about sin. And I, I, really, I, don't, I don't see those as mutually exclusive in that way. I see them as actually complementary. You know, uh, I see them as actually complementary. I think we're going to conclude here I want to thank you all I want to thank Sidi Ubaidullah Evans I know he was coming from another program as well and, and right without any stop right into our program may Allah bless our teachers a lot they really do give a lot alhamdulillah uh, thank you all for being patient thank you all for being here with us Jazakallah khair Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh Thank you for tuning in. Please consider becoming a monthly sustainer by joining 1,000 Hearts of Ta'lif and committing to give $3 a day to keep this work coming to seekers, youth, and newcomers to Islam. Sign up today at www.ta'leefcollective.org forward slash donate. We hope you enjoyed the variety of sessions available and hope you benefit immensely. Allah bless you and Allah bless your loved ones.